0: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct.
1: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And today we start the second half of the Lakers season. But we're going to start on the pod here with a more specific topic. And the reason for it is that it branches out into a bunch of other ones that I think are really important for this team. I think the most crucial area where we need significant improvement for us to be a Contending team is in our closing lineup. So much ink is spilled about starting lineups and who's a starter, who's not. and But your most important lineup are, is your closing lineup. And that's been somewhere, again, where the Lakers have struggled. And a central figure within that over the course of the first half of the season has been Russell Westbrook. In several games, teams have put their center, a big man, a slow-footed big, on Russ and just not guarded him, right? And he hasn't shot particularly well. And in a broader sense, the Lakers offense has kind of fallen apart in a lot of those games. That said, it's not the only issue that the Lakers have had with their closing lineups. One of the things they've done is, okay, we're just going to bench Russ in those situations. And one of the things that has happened in those Points is, we really get out muscled because, for as much as the last five minutes of a close game is not the wide open, high octane style that Russ th- thrives most in, and it's not, and it's somewhere where you definitely want LeBron James to have the ball. The last 5 minutes of a close game is also a rock fight of sorts. It's when everybody's playing their hardest, everybody's rotating, everybody's crashing down for that crucial defensive or offensive rebound and possession, and it's it can it it can have more of these kind of chaotic uh type of possessions that I think Russ is actually a huge asset in. And so that's kind of where I'm getting at with the closing groups, D, is like when we, we've we had Russ on the court, we've had issues with respect to our spacing and our offense. But when he hasn't been on the floor, in, in a lot of instances, we've had issues with our strength and general physicality because it's Dennis, who's a small guard, and, say, Austin. Austin's closed a lot of games. Lonnie has been in a lot of those. And so there's not a lot of strength on the perimeter. And so there's a bit of a whack-a-mole quality to this that I, I know it seems like a super specific thing for now, but I think it branches out into our trade conversations, into a bunch of other things. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about the closing lineup over the course of the season and what you've seen. Well, it's a lot of different stuff. and I think you hit on a bunch of great, great points rather than
2: discuss any single one of those specifically, because I think they're all very well made. One of the things that I would add, too, is that the difference in what you're talking about when it comes to how possessions play out in games that are close late is there is a natural tendency. And I think this, this starts with LeBron, but I think it's, it's true generally. Right. But I think this plays into LeBron's approach to the game is, all right, well now it's time to go into supercomputer mode Mm -hmm. and slow the game down in order to dissect and, and get to the best spot on the floor offensively in order for a possession to play out in a very specific way. And the, and the meticulous nature of those possessions stands in stark contrast to how the Lakers have played most of the rest of the game. Yes. And so I'll talk about this later when we get into the Mavs game a little bit, where I think pace is going to be super important in this specific matchup. But the Lakers are second in the league in pace. Right. And that's so they hunt transition opportunities all of the time. But even when they're not hunting transition opportunities, this was true even when the Lakers were featuring AD a lot in the post It was still when they were at their best doing that, it was like they were quick to get into those actions. And whenever the Lakers look bad, it's typically because they are not moving with enough verve or yes. with enough tempo, even in the half court, in order to try to get into their actions.
1: Yeah, it's not about flying up and down the court in transition. It's like, get to your spots. There was a possession in a, in a game we won recently where it was a late game situation. We were up by like five or so, and we had gotten the rebound in the backcourt, and Pat Bev was on the floor. And he's like waving everybody up court, like yeah. throwing his arm, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's get to our spots, right? So that we've got 15 seconds left when we really get into it as opposed to eight. Well, there's been a couple of
2: games, too, where the Lakers have basically survived down the stretch because mm-hmm. they had a big enough lead. And Charlotte. they were basically yep. milking, milking the last four, five, six minutes of the game. And what was a 16, 17, 20-point lead, they might win by nine or by seven yeah. or even by 11. But that got back to 11 after it was seven or five. Right. And it's because like, oh, they scored a couple of big baskets here and suddenly it's back under control. Right. I think the Hornets game was like that specifically. When you talk about these these late game possessions, I think one of the things that is super interesting to me is how do the Lakers balance the the sort of Harvey Dent quality, the two face quality of Mm. their team? right? Because they are by nature, a team that wants to play physical and fast. And, and Darwin has talked talked about this, like that's our identity. That's Lakers basketball. But that is on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, typically of what crunch time basketball looks that's like. Right. And, and so for all the points that you made, which I think are super well made about the specifics of of physicality and 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 perimeter force and the ability to like defend up and get key rebounds and all of these things that I think are the nuts and bolts of how possessions play out. I'm zooming back out to this idea of, well, in a really basic way, the Lakers don't have a crunch time identity because it's so opposite of what their normal game identity looks like. And I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are about that general idea.
1: Bro, I'm so glad you put it that way, because that is such an underlying reason for why I was like, I want, really want to talk to Darius about this in the first place. Exactly that point, that idea that that crunch time identity, that we don't have it, and that basically we're choosing between the lesser of two evils on particular games. And one of the places that my mind goes is we've been talking yesterday, for example, about that shooter who can stay on the floor defensively. and I think about other teams that have one guy on the floor that teams defend similarly to Russell Westbrook, meaning that that's the guy that late in games, you're like, fine, shoot the wide open 15 footer, 18 footer, wide open three. That's fine. You take that. And I think of the Warriors and with Draymond Green in in particular, how do they survive that how do they get how do how do they still flourish in those possessions right draymond's a great passer just as russ is and but the way that they do that is it flows into handoffs with a legit shooter so teams have sagged off of draymond for a decade now and rather than just settling for that shot, there's always somebody because it's Steph Curry and Klay Thompson yeah. and Jordan Poole, that it's like, okay, I'm on the wing and I am wide open for this shot, but I've got Klay Thompson standing next to me. And if I just dribble toward him and hand it off, which functions as a screen basically, it's basically a two-on-one because the guy that was guarding me is the guy that you're sagging off of if I'm Russ or Draymond Green. The guy who's who's guarding me is so far back, sagged into the paint, he can't get out to that shooter. and so. So, because if we're closing with LeBron at the four and AD at the five, which is, I think, what we should be doing, and I think that informs, like, who we should be pursuing in trades, too, right? Like, that idea, one of the things we've talked about is the idea of a defensive five that stretches the floor, which would be great, right? I'd say we get, like, part of that with TB, but not the defensive part to as much of a degree, although he does rebound, but if... If we are having AD at the five and LeBron at the four, there has to be a certain amount of size at the other positions that Russ totally provides when he's in there. It's just he provides the other problem of the sagging off, right? And so to me, that type of guy that you can run Russ in a handoff with is the guy that like locks things into place. Does that make sense? It does make sense, 100%. And I think
2: that what you're describing is great in an ideal world where that's the style of basketball that Russell Westbrook embraces and typically Mm. plays. Right. And so Mm. I think about when you talk about Draymond Green, like I think Ben Simmons is another example of this. Yes. Yes. Like not only do these guys have great passing instincts, which which Russ does as well, their natural inclination steers them towards that part of the game in terms of like handoffs and dribble pitches. And sure. like th- that is a part of their vocabulary when it comes to their basketball language. And for Russ, his style as a passer and as a shot creator is much different than a great that, than that sort of setup. Right. Like Mm -hmm. we talked about for the better part of two seasons now, like that Russ does not set a lot of screens. He does not, he is not on the other end of that action as, Mm -hmm. as much. He is typically the creator with, with the ball. And I think his natural instinct is because. Like, look, for all the talk of comparison to Draymond Green or a Ben Simmons, Russell Westbrook, I haven't looked at his career point totals, but I would imagine he's close yeah. to 20,000 points in his career. Yeah. Right? He's a 25
1: like, point per game guy over the course yeah. of his career. Totally. And
2: so his instinct then isn't like, oh, well, I average eight points a game. Let me dribble pitch. It's I've averaged 30 points a game. Mm -hmm. At different times during my NBA career, you're leaving me open. Open. I'm going to take the shot. Watch this. Right? And so there is a mentality thing that I don't know if Russ will ever get to the point where his natural instinct is, well, like, let's do this. Now, that doesn't mean you can't run those actions or build that type of stuff into what your playbook is. Right. What I will say, though, is is that encounter to that counter idea, which right. And so I'm arguing with with myself here because I love to talk (laughs) is that the natural shape of the Lakers offense in general isn't just like, oh, well, let's do this one thing for Russ and Russ to do this. It's like it's still built around this idea of let's get the ball to your superstar player who is a shot creator. Right. And so Russ falls into that idea as well. He is one of those quote unquote superstar players who is a shot creator and the same things that the Lakers are doing with LeBron and with Anthony Davis. If, if they're going to ask Russ to do that, The shape of the offense needs to change a little bit where it's also Mm. LeBron and AD who are involved in those same sorts of actions because those things will work, too. And so basically, I don't want this to be a Russell Westbrook solution as much as I want this to be a solution for the entire team where this works for AD and LeBron as well.
1: Likewise. And one of the places where we've, I think, really bridged that well over the other parts of the game is when Russ is on the court, he's the point guard. That's been something that has been way more established this year than last year. If it's Russ and LeBron out there, LeBron is his role man. LeBron is setting screens, operating way more off the ball, getting post seals, things like that. And Russ is doing what Russ does as a as a point guard. And so that is a great point in terms of like, if Russ is going to be on the floor, then you probably still have to play into that in the last five minutes of of a close game. That said, I'm not saying that Russ has to be on the floor in those situations. And there have been games where we've taken him off and we have won the game. And so the point that I'm making though, is that we are not big enough. Russ is the only guard that we have that provides any sense of power and strength. Have you noticed how guards have posted Dennis up? It's not super frequent, but it's frequent enough to where I'm watching it like, yeah, someone in the playoffs is gonna do that. We face, Memphis or something like Desmond Bain or Dylan Brooks is going to get caught on uh, Dennis or, or even something. Sacramento. Like they're yeah. going to
2: do it with like Fox. his mm-hmm. primary matchup is going to be Fox. Fox yes. is going to dribble into back downs and try yep. to get to that eight to 12 foot range where he can shoot a fadeaway. That's an easy shot for him.
1: So a lifetime of watching basketball tells me, at least, you can have one guy on the floor like Dennis that's a small, wiry guard. He has to compete. He has to defend. But there's only so much Dennis can do from a strength standpoint. You can have one guy on the floor like that, but you can't have two in crunch time. Or you're going to lose a lot of battles like that. And when you look at the rest of our guards, it's Austin, who teams target for his strength. Lonnie, same type of thing. Uh, Kendrick Nunn we don't have another power guard or another perimeter player that provides a certain degree of physicality. If Russ does not close as many games, then we need somebody in an, in at least the three spot that provides that physicality and size and rebounding and can some of the things that Russ does provide there because none of our guards do. No, 100 percent. And this is
2: where we've seen some success with a guy like Troy Brown closing a game here, there here you or go. there or even JTA and then having like Pat Bev on the court. And so Bev is an interesting example of this, too, because he does provide that physicality and force, but he's like six feet. Right. Yes. And and so he can do that against guards, but he can't do it against like guys who are six, six or six, seven. And Russ can Right. And so I think the idea that you're that you're posing isn't just a like, oh, one of the guards who has to do this. It's while playing these other players and then you don't have the other forward. And so Mm -hmm. this ultimately is a problem with not having another forward. Right. Mm -hmm. And and this is where like Troy Brown should be back against the Mavericks. He is a useful player within this, this context. And before he got hurt, he was starting to play a bit more of a physical style of basketball. He was rebounding better. He was really getting up into guys defensively and then his shot was falling. And so that is, that is the archetype for a player that Troy, Troy Brown was playing that style, the exact mm-hmm. style that you're asking for. He was playing that before he got hurt. I think for me, I'm also looking – I'm always looking for the next player who is better than the guy who the team currently has in place in order to do these things because I always want the most talented team possible, sure. right? It, it's – you're not going to find a guy better than LeBron James. You're not going to find a guy better than Anthony Davis. And even for what he's doing – and the style that he's playing, you may not even find a guy who's better than Dennis in terms of a small guard who's getting after it defensively, who is offering enough uh, three-level scoring.
1: Well, especially at Dennis his contract. You could, you could say this about TB and Austin as well, in terms of like, those are real yeah, hits like for, for that type yes, of contract. Yes, yeah. like production versus like contract. Like yeah. these
2: guys are producing at, at a very high level. But what I am looking for is like, okay, well, on the wing, And at the shooting guard spot where the Lakers could invest more in. Right. And right now it's just like they're starting the lineup before Lonnie got hurt, like Lonnie and Bev were starting. And Mm. from a salary perspective, that makes sense. They're like the next two highest player, paid players on the team besides Russ, and Russ has his role. He is he right. is coming off of the bench now as a shot creator and sort of this second unit leader, right? And so that's his role. It doesn't matter what his salary is within the context of, right. well, of this conversation. But Bev makes $13 million and Lonnie makes six and a half. They're the next highest paid guys. But they are your shooting guard and your your nominal shooting guard and your nominal small forward in the context of that starting group where, where Dennis is there. And that investment. That's what I'm talking about. They have the Lakers have invested contract dollars in those two spots when basically and in those two players, when essentially those two players play the same spot. Yeah, And one of them has to try to do a thing that they're not quite equipped to do physically, either because of size like Pat Bev Mm -hmm. or physically with force because of just the style of player that he is in Lonnie. And that's where I'm not saying, oh, we'll just trade one of those guys and make it all better because we all know it takes two teams to tango. But that investment, it would for in terms of a balanced roster, investing one of those salary slots into the player that you're describing a six, seven, six, eight, six, nine forward type who can do those things. That's where I think the bridge needs to happen so that the team is less reliant on Russ and it does rebalance the roster in, in a way that you get to a more natural closing lineup.
1: For sure. I want to close at least on this part of saying Also, though, that Russ has been very helpful in certain ways. That if we can, like, if we can take off some of the negative, and maybe that's not possible, maybe that's not possible with the talent that's available and whatnot, but being able to keep him on the floor. For example, he, when we played Boston and that was a very competitive game in the second half, he had three block shots on Jalen Brown. He had 10 defensive rebounds in the second half and he had four, you know, four blocks overall. There's a level of athleticism and physicality that I think the best version of this team is that we could be one of if not the most oppressive athletic team in the league and if that is the case and that's a build that I very much want to build toward if that's the case Russell Westbrook is an important part of that and so kind of we we think so much about the ideas of of how to get rid of Russ and how to how to like you know what I'm saying that yes whereas I think that we can overlook some of the ways that he's actually very uniquely helpful in that if we can help patch the holes in that, I think that that's our best bet.
2: Yeah. I think one of the things that you're describing too is wanting to optimize him while not always needing to rely on him.
1: Yes. That's the perfect sweet spot right there. Let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, let's keep talking about this.
0: So
2: that idea of optimization and and not relying, that's sort of what I'm after too with Mm. Russ. And so I didn't want to convey an idea where I'm just like, oh, we'll get rid of him and just find a better player, right? Of course. It's this idea of where can he be helpful? And if he's not helping in those ways, well, then you don't have to
1: play him. Yes, you've got other guys that can fill in the spot. And I think we've done well to get to that point.
2: Yeah, we've talked about this a a bunch, so I don't want to repeat myself here, but – the Lakers know so much more about what they're good at and what they're not and how mm-hmm. to how to gear their lineups under the guise of what their roster is in order to be successful, right? And Russ has been a part of that. You mentioned the Boston game, but he was lights out against the Bucks. He's been yep. he he has shown an an ability to play with force where the lakers need that force there's Mm. also a wildness that comes with him that is just a part of his game and there Mm. are times where you don't need that wildness and crunch time is one of those times right in sort of bringing this conversation full circle and so mitigating what his weaknesses are while promoting his strengths that's like the goal with every single player that's on the roster but Mm -hmm. one of the issues that the lakers have had is that their roster is unbalanced in in a way where they're not always able to do that and it's that's just what things are and it's one of the reasons why we've been advocating a trade and we at the very first part of the season it was it was almost all ideas about trading Russ because it looked like he was the one that was the problem. But Mm -hmm. as he's adjusted and found his path, he's shown to be a part of the solution and a part of the problem.
1: It's also like from that perspective, it's a two to tango situation in that when you look at the standings around the league, first off, there are a couple of teams that you thought, oh yeah, they're going to be trading this guy that we should totally be interested in. Yeah, well, they're in the playoff hunt, you know, like, are they looking to make a move at all? And so the situation has changed, changed, not just in terms of us knowing what our team is, but the situation has changed around the league and what that looks like. And so to be able to operate within that reality of, I don't think there's a rust trade out there where I'm like, oh yeah, I'd trade two picks for that, you know, or I'd basically, I want us to be the best team that we can be this season. And I'm no longer sure. In fact, I think more than not, relative to what we could get back in a Russ trade, that trading Russ is the path to that. But there are some other interesting paths to being able to get the types of players that we're talking about too. And so if that's the case though, and Russ sticks around, this really goes back to a fundamental point uh, for me, D is that if Russ is here, You have to work with him. You have to understand who he is, what he does well, what he does poorly, because if you just keep doing what you're doing without accounting for that, it's at your own peril. Yeah. And credit to Darwin. He's done, he's
2: mostly done that all season. Yes. And so he has found times where it's just like, we've texted in the thread, like, is he going to go back to Russ here? And he hasn't. Mm -hmm. Right? Which wasn't the case at the beginning of the year. No, it wasn't. and everyone has to feel feel their way out, right. And And I think Darwin has done is good a job under the circumstances that he could have done in this specific area, right, which is managing the roster and all that goes into getting the most out of these players, considering what the shape of the team was in terms of just personnel and player types mm-hmm. and injuries. And managing all of that in order to get the team to play to the level that they have over the last 20 some odd games. So I think it's important to sort of talk about this specific stretch of games. And it starts tonight with the Mavs. So five game home stretch, Pete. Dallas on tap tonight. We know what happened the last time the Lakers played Dallas on Christmas. I thought they had a reasonable game plan going into the game that after a while, an MVP candidate just broke and then his teammates came along for the ride and then it was an avalanche. And so Luca presents a very specific set of problems that typically does not have a solution per se. So how do you look at that conundrum that, that the Lakers are in?
1: (laughs) Uh, I think this might be another game where we need to outscore them. And I think that we can, I think we can turn them over a little bit. And so pace and pressure, that's gonna be central to our identity anyway. But before the pod started, you know, we were talking about the pace of this game. Dallas is second to last in terms of pace and we're second in terms of pace. And that was one thing that really stood out to me about the Christmas game is LeBron was wonderful. And we had a an 11 point lead, I think at halftime in large part because of his contributions. But the bench was really slow, led by Russ, right? And so that's something that against Dallas in particular, you look at their roster, they don't have a ton of athletes. These are guys, a lot of guys that are second round picks, Bullock, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., um, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, these types of guys, they are in the league because of their skill, not because of their tremendous athletic gifts. And I think that... When we've got guys like Russ and TB and Wenyan, JTA, all of these guys that are like energy and motor and all of that, we don't wanna get into a half court game with them. And so in terms of guarding them, I think we're gonna, we have, that was, that was the game where we had the infamous Austin at the five lineup, uh, was when we played Dallas on Christmas we have more personnel available with JTA when was not very good in that game. And I'm, I'm curious if there's a through line between that and him not being very good against Sacramento. We'll shelve that for another conversation, but these like bigger type of athletes in this game, I, I don't see an, well, obviously not an Austin at the five in this game, cause he's not playing, but I, That, to me, is the biggest difference between the game on Christmas and tonight's game is that we're probably going to have bigger lineups out there. And I think that may allow us to switch a little bit more, but then it's Luka and he's going to they're going to be tough to guard either way.
2: Yeah, I think that a lot of this game is going to come down to who has more of the key defensive stops over the course of the game, because I my sense is like the offenses are going to be fine, right? Like Dallas has... Um, Maxi Kleber is out. Dorian Finney-Smith is out, and so you're talking about like the athletes. They're not great athletes, but they are two of their better defensive players, right? Mm-hmm. And with so, good size. Yep. Yes, and then Dwight Powell suffered a hip contusion against the Clippers in their last game on on Tuesday. So we'll see if he plays. But even if he does play, will will he be limited? Um, so it's going to be like a lot more Christian Wood. Uh, maybe some JaVale McGee. And so those are two different types of players. But I definitely think the idea that you discussed with pace and tempo is super important. The Lakers do need to find a way to force the tempo of the game, which is pretty difficult when the other team has Luka Doncic. It's just like it's very difficult to do that against a team that has like Nikola Jokic, right? Like these guys have the ball. The other team has the ball, too. And they mm-hmm. get to control things the way that they control things. And I thought in the first half of the Christmas Day day game, the Lakers dictated the terms of engagement by doubling Luka all over the floor. And then Dallas countered that later in the game by sending Luka to the post and like, oh, OK, well, you're going to double from here. Well, get, that's going to look different than when you're sending the, these high traps. and. And initiating a scramble that automatically gets the offense sped up a little bit based off of where mm. the traps happen and the nature of the ball movement out of those traps. So I'm super interested to see what the game plan looks like and and what adjustments are made, because there could not be a starker contrast Pete, between what happened in the first half of that game and what happened mm. in the second half. and that typically requires a reexamination of what worked and what didn't what the counters were to what worked and what's our appropriate counter to that counter which never seemed to come as the avalanche of threes like yes. just took the lakers down
1: one of the broader questions for darvin with the emergence of Thomas Bryant will be. And he had a great quote, Yovan asked him about the potential big lineup that LeBron was talking about with LeBron and AD and TB on the floor at the same time. And Darwin spoke enthusiastically about their potential on that lineup's potential. But one of the main questions they're going to have to answer, answer is, TB's defense and how do you account for that? And one of the ways that you do that with a defender at the five spot is to trap with them. This is something that Drummond was a better defender than TB is, but similar size and just like big, big guy. Right. And we would trap with Drummond. And instead of the normal rotation that you might have out of a trap, Drummond's responsibility was to trap the ball, then rotate back to the paint. And it was AD – that complicated AD's rotation, and they barely played together at all, so we didn't see a ton of this. But I remember AD talking about this in a post game interview, talking about how they simplified the rotations for Drummond – in part just out of a recognition thing, you don't want to making super complicated reads, but also that's a big guy that in the second half of that Dallas game, if you put TB in that Drummond spot, TB is trapping Luca on the right slot. And then his rotation is to the left corner onto Tim Hardaway Jr. And like TB is just not going to get there. It's too long of a distance to ask a guy of that size to cover. And so this is made that sort of like, oh, just, rotate back to the paint is made a lot more difficult by not having Anthony Davis. That's one of those situations where it's like, oh, we have this freakish defensive player where this isn't supposed to work. You're not supposed to be able to rotate from here and bother Tim Hardaway's corner three off of a trap, but Anthony Davis can. But that's the sort of thing that this stretch in particular, learning how to mask TB's defensive weaknesses to whatever degree we can is important. And how we operate out of our traps, I think, is a, a central topic in terms of the execution of that.
2: No, it well, it definitely is. And but this also just gets back to to the idea of sometimes you're just playing a great player and a great player is going to do great yes. things. And and it's just like for all the masking and all of like th- on, on some levels for all the X's and O's talk that you and I love and we eat up and we'll go back and forth on a topic for 15 or 20 minutes on like the nuance of whatever. Sometimes it is like, <laughs> to credit Mark Jackson, like a make or miss league. And oh, yeah. it's like, and, and that's just what it is, right? And all you so- can do is
1: your best, man. All you can do is make it as hard as possible on them. But the other team has coaches too, like you always say. The other team has great players that are going to hit great shots. but. It's To me, this is also something that is beyond just this game in terms of the further calcification of our identity.
2: No, totally. And that's why I'm looking for the Lakers to lean into the things that I know that they're already good at. While I agree with you in terms of mitigating the things that they're not as good at, but trying to consistently be the best version of themselves rather than always looking at like well these are the things that well we need to try to do this a little bit better it's just like yes yes we do but the things that we know that we do well let's let's really 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 do those things and that's why let's do why, them a little better yeah
1: let's get better yeah. at them and make it unstoppable yeah
2: well, well that's why the thing that you were saying too like on 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 uh, the Christmas Day game and this was true um in the Denver game as well as particularly in 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 the in the first half, I thought the team just didn't have the same juice, like they didn't have the same legs. And I thought mm. that was very much true of of Russ. But as the game went on, it was true of Dennis as well. It was their third game in mm. four nights. They're playing at altitude, all of this other stuff. And so when you mentioned earlier that in the Christmas Day game, like Russ didn't have that same pop and that the team wasn't playing as fast. Well, look, that's who we are. Who we are isn't Thomas Mm -hmm. Bryant scrambling around the court and being this defensive marvel or like that's not what you're going to get. You can try to mitigate those things by switching up tactics or changing the rotations and all of this other stuff. But in the big picture, the thing that we are is a grab and go, get down court, beat Mm -hmm. you to, to the spot and attack you in the paint over and over and over again to wear you down. And That's what the Lakers need to be in this game. It's what they need to be over the next five games as well. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the season, that's that's what their identity has been building towards. And so whenever we talk about like a trade or whatever, I think it's more like, well, how can you find players who can fit into that identity while also shoring up some of those other weaknesses that we've talked about before?
1: Amen. That's exactly where I'm at. This is a good talk, man. Uh, we will be back tomorrow to discuss how the game against Dallas went. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
0: James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy.
2: Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good! And the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game!
0: That next to the winner, it's on the right, no! Toby Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, Back with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed, a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Toby. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the two, move. Two, That's where it's going. one. Unbelievable. It's over. shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah